everyone. Welcome to Killer Crossroads. As this is episode 21. I'm Linda and joining me is my co-host, partner in wine and crime, Josh. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Good afternoon. Welcome to today's episode. How are you? I'm doing good. Hot. Really hot. Yep. We got some sun in because we, we went to the game. Yep. We went to our first in-person baseball game. We're looking like, uh, what is it, molten chocolate lava cakes? (laughs) It was about 90 degrees yesterday, and for being outside for four hours, we got dark. Very toasty. It was nice. (laughs) It was a fun time. It was. I know you really wanted to go, so I'm like, hey, let's kick off the start of nice weather or summer with the game. I appreciate that. It was a fun time. It's hot. (laughs) We'll do it again, though. (laughs) Bring some, uh, what is it called? Suntan lotion? Protect yeah, your skin. Yeah, that probably could have helped. <laughs> and we hope that wherever you are located, you are doing well and you are safe. Agreed. So what do you have for us today, Josh? So I'm actually going to do a continuation um, from our last episode. We had talked about, um, you know, the boy that had experienced what people believe is a past life, right? And the last episode... Um, young boy once had some some shocking revelations where he thought that he could have very well been, you know, a, a former World War II pilot and gave a lot of information that kind of led uh, to his parents thinking that that was in fact the case, right? That it was a, some type of form of reincarnation. Um, but what I want to talk about in continuation to that is there was another big story. Um, the one I talked about in the last episode, I think is the more famous one Um, but this one's pretty up there too Um, and it revolves around another boy with another similar set of experiences but a totally different person right so same kind of idea they think they have this past life of a previous person that had passed away Um, and they give a lot of a lot of details again into this so it was kind of shocking to me so we'll be going along that kind of case. So do you believe or you're unsure? I want to believe. I want to believe. I feel like you're more of the skeptic of the two. I would I would be a skeptic if the parents really did have some type of, you know, big involvement and they very well coached their child to, to say all these things. But I think it's very hard. I mean, yes, we're not parent owner. We're not, we're not parents per se, but I can imagine, you know, getting a, a three to five year old to say some of these things and articulate them so well and have an understanding of what the words mean. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be that easy to, to fool someone. Well, I'm excited to hear what you have for us today. Likewise. And how about you? What are you going to talk about today? So I'll be giving you all a Lori Vallow Daybell update, which we covered in episode nine. And then I'll also be discussing a missing persons case, which is um, a little girl, which now is, I'm assuming, 14 years old. Um, It's a lot of stuff going on there. Still an active missing persons case, you said? Yes. Okay, interesting. You'll kick things off today. Yeah, I will. Taking turns. Okay. All right. So 
again, this is going to revolve around um, children who have had some experiences with a past life instance. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background information on the original person, I guess, that has been deceased now for many years, who will then come back into the story as the reincarnated version. So a little bit of background information. Morris Kalinsky was born in Philadelphia of 1903. He was born to two parents who were of Jewish descent and from the Ukraine and had recently moved to the United States. He had two sisters growing up, but one died early in childhood. Later in their years, Morris and his surviving sisters eventually moved to New York City with the hopes of getting into show business. Morris was able to successfully get into Broadway performing as a tap dancer and then made his way to Los Angeles, where he went by the stage name of Marty Marlin. He was able to gain some small acting roles, but didn't really have many spoken lines. And in the end, he ended up being unsuccessful in trying to make a living as an actor. His next big bet, though, was to open up his own talent agency named Marty Marlin's Talent Agency, which did become very successful. He hired and became friends with a man named Gordon Nance, who was also known by his stage name as Wild Bill Elliott, who was the poster boy for Viceroy Cigarettes and did a lot of their commercials. Marty eventually developed leukemia and died of a cerebral hemorrhage on Christmas Day in 1964 at the age of 61 years old. That's a quick little background information on uh, Morris Kalinsky and his stage name of Marty Marlin. So now we'll fast forward about 40 years after the death of Marty Marlin. A boy by the name of Ryan Hammonds was born in Muskegee, Oklahoma in 2004 to his mother, whose name is Cindy. Growing up, Ryan's speech was delayed due to enlarged androids, which are clusters of an immune system cell located in the back of your mouth. And this caused problems for Ryan as he had to have these androids surgically removed. After the removal, Ryan was able to begin speaking normally and in full sentences at the age of four years old. But with this new ability, it would bring a very big surprise as Ryan began to recall information about a past life. He began shouting phrases such as action whenever he saw a camera nearby. He had one particular nightmare one night and his parents had heard Ryan screaming and they ran in and they saw him clutching his chest, awaking him. And Ryan had said that he had dreamt that he feared that his heart had exploded while he was in Hollywood. Ryan began to tell his mother that he wanted to go home to Hollywood and he would beg his mother to take him there to visit his quote unquote other family. He was very specific about his other members of his other family, recalling his three adopted sons, one biological child and two sisters. He would, he would even eventually tell his mother, mama, I think I used to be someone else. Now tell me, for a four-year-old to convey that much of information, I don't. I don't think it's possible. Yeah, it's a little bit detailed, right? I don't think just a random child would 
come up with something like that. Right. It's very for a four-year-old, right? For a four-year-old to understand, hey, I have all these other siblings. I have these children. I think I used to be someone else. Like, it's very unheard of, right? And I don't think it's something that you could easily convince your child to do. So that's why, yes, I'm a little skeptic, but at the same time, it's it's very intriguing because you don't really hear about these cases that often. They do pop up here and there, but it's few and far between, right? Those few and far between leaves the door open to a possibility that this could be real. Yeah, I think if I was four years old and I was being coached to say something, I'd forget. Right, right. I mean, not that kids aren't smart. They're very smart. The kids absorb a lot of information pretty quickly, but, but to be able, able to, to understand put things that, like that together, yeah. Right. You can maybe just repeat what your parents say and not really understand the meaning of it, right? But he had some meaning behind it. So Ryan would also recall working for an agency where people changed their names and he would say phrases like, quote, do you know who I am? If you mess with me, you'll never work in this town again. Unquote. That's a pretty big statement right there. Like that sounds like something someone in Hollywood would say. Some like a grown up. Right. A grown up, some type of someone who's in power, right? Yeah. So Ryan would also tell his mother that he once lived in a big house with a swimming pool and he lived on a street. But he couldn't recall the name of it. He just remembered that the word rock was in the name of the street name. He would also go on to tell his mother that he had once visited Paris and saw the Eiffel Tower. And he also recalled that he had also danced on Broadway and would try to begin to demonstrate his tap dancing moves. He had formed an interest wearing... um, Ryan would also recall that he had also danced on Broadway once and would also try to begin to demonstrate some of his tap dancing routines. Ryan also formed an interest in wearing sunglasses and said that in his past life, he would easily get sunburned. And he also demonstrated that he didn't have a liking towards Franklin Delano Roosevelt simply because he was a Democrat. Wow. Right? This is a four-year-old. A four-year-old saying, I don't like Roosevelt. He's a Democrat. (laughs) Like, that sounds like an adult talking. Yeah. Right? It's just very strange. Very high maintenance. Right. (laughs) So now we'll talk about some of the spiritual coincidences. So Ryan told his mother that he had once had seen her from heaven and had known about her from a previous life. And that while he was in heaven, he decided to choose her as his mother in order to help take care of her. He was able to recount a time when he was inside of his mother's womb and asked why she had wanted a girl instead of him. He told his mother that he was able to witness her crying for a long period of time after shortly finding out that she was going to be having a boy instead of a girl. And his mother, to no doubt, was shocked that Ryan had knew about this incident because it was true. And since he would not have had any type of way of knowing about this incident, since neither her nor her husband had ever talked about it. So the thing that's kind of interesting here is it's similar to the previous case 
about the boy who thought he was a former World War II pilot. Same kind of story, a little bit. They both had nightmares. They both had these visions that they were someone else. Um, and they both had these instances where they claimed to have once visited heaven and they were able to know something about the real world that they couldn't have possibly known. Now, if you remember from the last case, remember the boy said that he was able to recall his parents and tell him, hey, when I was conceived, I know where you guys were. Right, TMI. Right? right. He knew that they were in Hawaii at a specific hotel. And it's like, how would they, how would he have known that? Yeah, it's and not it, something grownups really talk about. Right. Right, in front of kids. <laughs> Maybe like way down the line when your child asks that, but <laughs> yeah, that's not something you'd normally talk about with your children. But they kind of, there's like a pattern, right? There's some things that both cases have a, a bit in common. So Cindy began to do her, Cindy the mom, she began to do her own research and really wanted to look into these claims that Ryan was stating. But it's not like she wasn't believing him. I think that spiritual event of like that she experienced right there, I think that was kind of like the, the tipping point. And that was like, okay, maybe this isn't something that should just be overlooked, right? I should do a little bit more research and see what's really going on here. So they both, Cindy and her son Ryan, they both took a trip to their local community library to research, you know, any books they can find on Hollywood. And after a bit of time searching, they came across a photograph from a movie titled Night After Night. Now, Ryan was able to look at the photograph and saw a picture of a man who he identified as himself, as well as another man in a picture who went by the name of George and a third man in the photo who he said was the cowboy from the cigarette commercials. So there was one photo. He looked at it and he said, Mom, that's me. And I know this guy. This guy's George. And this guy is the guy from the cigarette commercials. He used to be a cowboy. Wow. That's amazing. So stunned by this fact, right? The mom wanted to identify who the person was that her son claimed to be. Unfortunately, the person that Ryan had pointed out in the photo as himself was not credited in the picture. And then they looked at the credits for the movie night after night. And that person also wasn't credited there either. So it kind of came to like a dead end. Unfortunately, they couldn't find the name. So with that information, Cindy contacted the university of Virginia and reached out to Dr. Jim Tucker, MD, who would eventually meet with Ryan when he was about five years old and helped to further investigate Ryan's claims. Now, Jim Tucker was also the, uh, the doctor who, um, worked with the previous case. He works at the University of Virginia and he was also really fascinated about this, right? And want to collect all these different stories to see what the commonality was and gotcha. what could be verified and what was true. Now, while looking into this further, trying to gain more information on the photo that Ryan claimed to identify with, the original production company got wind of this whole story. Um, so the production company for the film Night After Night were contacted and they were interested. They wanted to know a bit more about this whole story that was coming up. And they had actually arranged for Ryan to fly out to Los Angeles. And they even drove him around like by the home of the actor, just seeing if they can get him to, you know, talk about any more, any more statements or any more facts and things like that. 
Um, but as I said, yeah, they, they took him to Los Angeles. They drove him around. They showed him the house of Marty Marlin um, to see if, you know, any other new information would come up. But unfortunately, nothing did it. Ryan, though, did happen to recognize the house um, that belonged to the actor Wild Bill Elliott. Now, Wild Bill Elliott was the cigarette cowboy commercial person. He was able to identify that house. He just couldn't identify the house that supposedly belonged to him. Okay. And then on another trip to California, Ryan was actually able to meet and get in contact with a living daughter of Marty Marlin. Now, keep in mind, when Marty Marlin passed away at the age of 64, his living daughter was only about eight years old at the time of Marty's death. And to this day, Ryan claims that he's able to recognize her face. He just says, I know you. That's really about it. And now the daughter is 57 years old. But he's not able to provide any more additional background about the daughter. No. He just says that I, I recognize your face like I know you. That's pretty much it. So now we kind of go into today's date. And this is actually just, um, there was a, a recent article on this particular case um, from January of this year of 2021. Now that Netflix series, um, I can't recall the name of it now. Uh, there's a Netflix series. Is it Life After Death? or Surviving Death. Sur- surviving Death, that's it. This particular case of Marty Marlin is featured in that Netflix series. So they did a, a kind of like a follow-up to know like where um, this boy Ryan is currently and how he's living his life. So as of today, it's just known that Ryan and his family, they still live in Oklahoma. Ryan's now a teenager and he's trying his best to, you know, do his best in school. And he wants to be really just more involved with his current life and doesn't really want to reflect back on what his past life could have been. Now remember he's about 15 ish right now. And they say typically with these type of cases by the age of 10 is when these memories kind of start to fade off of your previous life. So. So he's just trying to move forward and not, look back i wonder why though yeah i don't know he just says he wants to be more focused on the present and not focus on the past and he just wants to continue on but that was a a big story that came out i wonder if he remembers other things that aren't could be a little disturbing i mean you never know you never know but that's the thing too right is that some of the commonality between these kind of cases that the children by the age of 10, those memories start to fade away. So maybe even now at him being about 15, maybe it's just hard for him to remember. Yeah. All right. So it poses the question, like, I don't know. Are these, is this something that's truly real that happens every so often here and there? I mean, they have kind of the same format. Right. Different, different stories for sure, but they have kind of the same main points. They have dreams. They recall being in heaven. They know something about their own life prior to them being born. 
and they know information, you know, on a previous person. Or is it a glitch in the matrix? A glitch in the system? Maybe. Maybe. I, that, I think it's just too, it's too much information to be able to make it up. I think but so. I, I guess there is like a bigger being out there or something that's more powerful than us where, you know, reincarnation exists, right? It, and it's hard to put it together into words and to like, even doing more research about it. It just happens. Or maybe that person from the past picked this certain individual for a reason. Yeah. Or like I said, you think of that, like in all seriousness, you think of that movie, that Disney movie Soul, right? Where each soul is kind of given a chance to find, you know, its purpose. And it gets, you know, based on its purpose, that's what it matches up. You It matches you up with your... um you know, your ideal living self, right? Maybe there is something out there like that that we just have no real knowledge on. And maybe there was a glitch. Maybe someone's someone's soul, as they passed on, they didn't want to enter that eternal realm and they wanted to get back into the world of living. Yeah, because they have unfinished business. Or maybe they're looking more of a meaning to what life could have been. They were missing something. Yeah, it's some type of closure. They wanted to see it out to the end. So they're given a short amount of time, right? A few years. Because if this was like a Hollywood movie star or something along those lines, and you look at like a regular person, it's like who's maybe that the first person is wasn't really appreciating life for what it was and was more worried about the fame and it's someone hey, no and do you know who I am and worried about it, other things as opposed to just a regular individual where it is just appreciating life, you know, going to a movie, enjoying nature walks or just you, finding happiness in other things. Yeah. You do you it is a good point, right? Because it's not like you're just average person who no one would be able to identify, right? Like in this case, Marty Marlin tried to make it big in the in the showbiz area, but made his own talent agency, and right, he was in that space, so he was a kind of a known person. The previous case, the World War II pilot, maybe not as big of a public influence, but he still had some type of significant impact on people around him, right? Because he was still fighting for what he believed in. So there were people who knew about his presence and he had some type of impact. So it isn't just like, I don't know, someone who sits at home and doesn't do anything, you know? <laughs> it's not anyone like that. Like they're The people who are coming back and these reincarnated stories are people with some type of significance. Like they, it did, they have done something in their lives. Maybe they didn't see it out to the end or maybe there was some something still left unfinished but they they wanted to come back and they wanted to make sure that something was known elsewhere i mean not that there's anything wrong with people just sitting at home doing nothing sometimes it's nice to do nothing but i think just appreciating the little things Mm -hmm. because i mean once you're gone that's it that's it like not taking it for granted i think just people need to find a sense of 
what is my purpose? Why am I here? Who am I making a positive impact? And like, whose life am I making a positive impact to? Right. I agree. I agree with that. It's like for me, I feel like I'm always having a midlife crisis as far as is my career, my work career going to define me? And am I where I want to be now? I said 10 years ago, I'd be doing X, Y, Z. I'm like, nowhere near that. But now finding happiness in other things. So I think it, I, I just don't think certain things should define you as a person because I feel like you're going to miss out on life. Right. At least from my perspective. Yeah, that's a good, that's definitely a good, a good point. And I agree with that. I didn't mean it, you know, in a, in a, in a bad way. Like, you know, if you're not doing anything with your life, it doesn't mean that this incident couldn't happen to you. I just mean it as a, it's, it's almost like the tale of someone doing something and there was still closure needed. So they still needed to come back and they still wanted to get something. They want to finish your story. Right. The chapters in their book. Yeah. So that's the story that I have for today. That's the second case, real popular case. Um, what are your thoughts about it? I'm still left kind of shook. I, 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 I do want to believe that these types of cases are not fake. That these could very well happen, right? And there's just there's really no way to prove it. That's what we're that's what they're they're trying to to prove right now. Whenever these types of cases get, you know, brought to our attention, we're trying to find out information on it and how that can be explained. I don't think it's been explained yet. And I think that this very well could be a real miracle. I think as human beings we always want an answer as to why. Right. How? Why you? And, and the why is the hardest part to find. And, and no one really knows what it could be. Some things are better left unexplained. Yeah. Just You know, that happened to you. You experienced it. You take that with you. Yep. And just share it with others if you'd like to. Agreed. So, Linda, we'll switch it back over to you. Well, thank you again for... Sharing part two. Of course. I loved it. Of course. I I, hope our listeners did too. As always, (laughs) I have more questions. (laughs) Sure. I'm sure our listeners, if you have any questions too, feel free to write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. At killercrossroads at gmail.com. Yes. So today I will be giving you an update on the Lori Vallow Daybell case, which we covered in episode nine. So, as you know, Lori and her husband were indicted for the murder of her two missing children and is incompetent to stand in trial in an individual court proceedings related to their deaths. And this was decided by an Idaho judge on May 27th, 2020, due to a psychological assessment requested in March. So, in the state of Idaho, defendants cannot plead an insanity defense and instead be deemed unfit to stand trial, and could be held in jail. Um, A state mental hospital or an Idaho Department of Correction mental facility. Which I think, it sucks. I wonder how many states actually adhere to that. Because I think that's a really tough thing to prove nowadays. 
is an insanity plea. In my perspective, I just don't think that it's fair for her to be able to have an opportunity to get back to a functioning individual in society, in other words. Right. Because her children didn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right? They were good kids. I know her daughter is like a little older, but JJ, you know, had autism, but she decided to adopt him. But I just feel like if, you know, why give someone a second chance? They didn't get a say in wanting to live. Right. Right. Everyone, everyone's always going to ask for a second chance, really. I think for me, when you mess up, especially if you murder someone or multiple people, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. I agree. I don't think even if you say there was a mistake, I don't know. That's a hefty mistake. You took someone's life. I don't think there's, I don't think you should have the option to try and recover from that. Because remember, her children were found buried in her husband's, now husband's backyard. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely premeditated. Definitely. Yeah. I wouldn't accept the insanity plea, in my opinion, for that case. And the way that, you know, the bodies, her children's bodies were disrespected and treated and, just treated like garbage, that's that's not right. Right. Anyway, that's the update, and that's a wrap. And today, I'll be talking about a missing persons case, which is Relisha Rudd. So seven years ago, Relisha, who was eight years old, disappeared from a homeless shelter in Washington, D.C. The last time... Shamika Young, Relisha's mother, saw her was on February 26th, 2014. Relisha was born on October 29th of 2005 in Washington, D.C. She was playful, loving, and had a personality of her own. Relisha was also very smart and was always favored by teachers. She was also a Girl Scout and cheerleader, and Relisha always liked to be involved in after-school activities because she didn't like being at home. Relisha and close relatives experienced housing insecurity and homelessness. And because Relisha and her family were evicted from their home, they were forced to live in a shelter. So Shamika, which was her mom, And her siblings had a difficult time while they were in foster care because they didn't have a stable home. She struggled with some behavioral issues and was placed in a mental health institution for children. So when her sister Ashley turned 18, she had nowhere to go and had no choice but to go to D.C. General, which was the same shelter Relisha disappeared from. So while Relisha's stepfather was growing up, he also didn't have a stable home and endured abuse and trauma, which had an impact on his ability to father his children. So we didn't find any, or I didn't find any information as far as Relisha's birth father. Okay. So Relisha's family was under the Child and Family Services Agency radar because Shamika was reported three times to the child abuse hotline in 2007, 
2010, and 2013. CFSA was able to verify abuse and neglect complaints because in July 2007, social workers reported finding, quote, inadequate food and supervision for Relisha and her newborn brother, and that Relisha had an injury that could have been caused by abuse, end quote. Then in April 2010, social workers were investigating a complaint that's Dated, Shamika didn't bring her son for a follow-up doctor appointment post-surgery. And while they were inspecting the home, they found cigarette butts and trash was scattered in the home. I mean, I know that there's no perfect home. But I think to find, you know, smoking in front of your kids would be a no-go. Well, yeah, the secondhand smoke alone... That's the worst part of it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. No. I think, you know, just somewhat have it organized so, you know, that your kids have somewhere to play. and It wasn't It wasn't a totally safe environment is the way it's pictured here. Yes. So the children were also allowed to take baths without any adult adult. The children were also allowed to take baths without any adult supervision. So I don't know. While you were growing up, were you supervised? Yeah, I think uh, my mom would leave the door open and check on us. I don't I think so. I can't really recall. <laughs> I can't really <laughs> you were recall. raised by wolves, babe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure when I was really young, I just, I don't really remember that too much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think any child you'd supervise, right? Just to make sure. I mean, we're not parents, but just make sure. Well, of course, you know, yeah. I, I would, I would feel doing like. Doing good in there, as you never know. Right. But if I they would, slip, you know. Yeah. I would imagine so. I would think, you know, if if we had a child and they were taking a bath, right, we would want to make sure that they nothing happened to them. I would imagine that my parents had kept an eye on me. I just don't remember it. It could be a hospital visit. Those are not fun. Mm -hmm. So in 2013, when Shamika was reported to the child abuse hotline, the social worker wrote down that one of the children was thrown to the ground, which cut open his lip and it was slapped in the face. Now, I know my mom gave me a little bit of pow pow (laughs) growing up, chased me around with the chancla. Mm hmm. And I'd lock myself in the bathroom, but it wasn't anything too severe. At least I think. Right. I still didn't learn my lesson. Just like, but you know, just learning manners is growing up. I I don't think I got the chancla <laughs> too much, but my I remember my dad used to whip out the belt. Well, yeah, well, mm-hmm. I mean, like a like chancla meaning like a shoe or something. Right, a shoe hit or sandal the, hit you with the it. rear end. Yeah, but. And I mean, I think that is, I mean, each, you know, family household has their own way of raising their children, right? Right. But I think if you're just tackling somebody, like your child down and beating them, that's a different story. That is different. I feel like a lot of, I could be totally wrong here and I have not speaking off of any firsthand knowledge. But I would just imagine that, like, the chancla and, like, the belt and stuff like that, I feel like those are older methods of parenting. 
I feel like parenting now might be different. I could be wrong, but maybe our listeners can give us their opinion or their thoughts. Yeah. To each their own. Mm. So according to the report, Shamika was, quote, verbally abusive on a regular basis and would leave the children alone often, end quote. Only three reports were in CFSA, but it's a possibility that there was additional reports. So now if Child and Family Services Agency finds abuse or neglect, they will act on one of the three actions. They would remove the child or children if they are in imminent danger, open a case for in-home services if the risks are high for future harm to the child, or refer to the family or refer the family to a community-based agency for help if the children are not in high risk. I just think that if there's so many calls already, I think it's pretty evident. Remove the children. Right. It, it already seemed like there was enough background information provided I think said they that failed it them. wasn't yeah that it wasn't adequate enough for them to be living there. And being tackled down on a busted lip and then there's other like if you're verbally abusive and you're mm-hmm. not supervising something's wrong. You're right. So they failed the children. It appears that way. So I'm I'm unsure as to why it's so hard for you to do your job if you decided to take that role on do it if you have children's best interests. In the 2013 call about religious family, a case was open for in-home services. It's pretty obvious that things were not going well in religious home, and the social worker could have removed the children and just failed to do so. So I'm assuming that it, it could have been because it's just additional work for them. More paperwork, more visits. It could be. And you're looking for a placement. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to talk about a gentleman that came into Relisha and her family's lives. So they met Khalil, which was a janitor that worked at the shelter where Relisha and her family stayed. In the beginning, Relisha's relatives weren't too concerned because Khalil became a family friend. So I think from the information that I gathered was that Relisha's grandmother was a little skeptic about this man, but I don't think anyone... And I think her stepfather knew him, but not everyone was acquainted with that man. Right. Okay. So employees. Employees of the shelter weren't allowed to have a relationship or socialize with residents. And if you broke any of the rules, you would be terminated from the shelter. And Khalil crossed those boundaries by breaking the rules and gained Relisha's family's trust. Mm. According to Shamika's mother, Relisha would sometimes stay over Khalil's home on Fridays after school, which turned into additional nights and the weekends, and he'd bring Relisha back home on Sunday. So she stayed extended periods of time with this man. And hold on, I want to make sure that I got that Right, because she was, 
Yeah, so she was still, she was still like, like not even ten years old at this time, right? She was eight. But I'm saying is that she was still younger than ten. But it's like, what is a an eight an eight year old child? I don't know about doing? you all, but my mom never let me sleep over anyone's house unless it was a cousin or one of my aunts' house houses or right. grandma's house. We I didn't sleep over any friend's house because my mom had this idea. Like, hey, we don't. I don't know their family. Exactly. What if? They do something to you and no one's going to be able to give me an explanation of what happened to my daughter. Right. My or, parents were the same way. I kind of disliked my mom a lot for not letting me sleep over any of my friends' houses. But like now I understand why. Right. Stranger danger. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's just, it's mind blowing to me because I'm thinking about it here. I'm like, well, this, this little girl, like, what is she doing at her age? Not even, not even with like, other kids at the same age, right? She's going over to the janitor's house. He's a man. Exactly. It just, that's a red flag right away. A stranger. Yeah. I I think it's bizarre, to be honest. I just don't think I'd be handing my kid off to anyone. Yeah. I just I think maybe, I mean, I don't know what, I mean, the situation was exactly, but I think if you aren't able to care for your children, mm-hmm. Find a different outlet, not to a stranger. Right. Not to say that the kids would have been better off in foster homes. But not, you know, this man, like, don't do that. Yeah. You just met him. Yeah. So there was also reports of drug deals and sexual assault happening often in the shelter where Relisha stayed with her family. And during the time that Relisha and her family lived in the shelter, it was one of the largest family shelters in the D.C. area. And about 1,000 residents making up about 250 families at a time. So that's a lot of people. A lot of people, and it already seems like it's an unsafe place to be there at that shelter. And they were, I feel like they were all just, it's just too many people Yeah. in the rooms. Mm-hmm. So one of the rules in the shelter was to do room checks every evening to have a count of how many residents were in each room. Relisha and her family shared a room with another family. So now I'm going to go over a timeline of events. So on March 1st, 2014, she was last seen with 51-year-old Khalil Tatum at a Days Inn motel on a surveillance video. On March 2nd, 2014, Khalil was seen purchasing a shovel, lime, and 42-gallon-sized trash bags. On March 10th, 2014, investigators said Khalil posed as a doctor. On March 10th, 2014, investigators said Khalil posed as a doctor and told city officials that Relisha had a neurological disorder and was undergoing treatments. Khalil was often seen around Kenilworth Park and Aquatic Gardens. Khalil also had a criminal record which should have deterred the shelter from hiring him. So they knew what, you know, what was in his record and still decided to, I think, sweep it under the rug. 
Yeah, and I just feel bring like- them in on board. I think maybe there's laziness. Maybe they their hands were tied. Like they didn't have anyone else. Yeah, some proper procedure protocol wasn't adhered to. Because if someone's got a criminal record and yet they somehow became like good friends with a family and are befriending this young child, that just seems like a, a bad a bad recipe for a disaster to happen. So investigators also found out that Khalil befriended other children besides Relisha as well as teenagers and gave them gifts. Some parents of the children and teenagers declined the gifts and they ended the relationship. So Khalil was asked for the documents that proved, you know, that Relisha was going through some treatments and he said he left them at the shelter. March 13th, on March 13th, Relisha didn't make it to school and she reached 10 unexcused absences from Payne Elementary, which it probably could have been more over 10. Right. So obviously, if you're not bringing your kid to school that many times, what's going on? Right. The school's going to contact whoever's in charge to find out where, why, what's going on. But it seemed that there was people looking out for Relisha that worked at the elementary school. But I'm just not sure as to where everyone failed her. Right? And I think people from the school did also report certain things. But I'm not sure as to like how it works where like the school has to work with um, the child abuse line or, you know, social workers on what the, these next steps are. Right. But also, like, if you're a teacher in the school, you, you can't just take someone else's child, right? Because then you're going to be in even more trouble. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, a fine line with what you can do. Right. So, and the school reached out to D.C.'s Child and Family Services Agency. Then on March 19th, a social worker from Payne Elementary went to the shelter where Relisha resided to retrieve the documents from Khalil, and he was not at the shelter. So I think he knew something's up. I'm in trouble. Well, he knows I'm making that people a run are coming. Yeah, he knows people are looking for the girl now. So he knows something. So the social worker discovered that the name Dr. Tatum written on Relisha's excused absence notes, matches the name of the janitor at the shelter. Her family members were questioned about Relisha's last whereabouts. Khalil and his wife, Andrea, got on the road, and they actually checked into a Red Roof Inn in Oxon Hill, Maryland. On March 20th, Police held a public press conference regarding Relisha's disappearance and asked viewers to come forward if they had any information. FBI and local police departments offered rewards for the location and safe return of Relisha, as well as information leading to Khalil's arrest. D.C. police issued an amber alert with a description of Relisha. So Andrea, Khalil's wife, was actually found dead from a gunshot wound to the head at the Red Roof Inn. Okay, so he's guilty of something. It seems like it. 
So on March 27th, D.C. police chief turned religious search to a, quote, recovery mission, which means the person... On March 27th, D.C. police chief turned religious search to a recovery mission, which means the missing person is dead. So I, th I think they came to that conclusion because of Khalil and his wife. Well, yeah, if he deceased. killed one person, right. Police found Khalil dead in Kenilworth Park on April 1st from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Ah, so he killed himself. He did. So he was... Most likely he had been guilty of something, whether that be the death of his wife, but why did he kill his wife? It's suspicious behavior. It is. To be honest. And then the things that he purchased. And I, I think it's a red flag. You're taking someone else's child and befriending other children as well. You have no business to. Yeah. Find friends your age. Yeah. So the bullet that was found... So the same bullet that was found in Khalil came from the same gun used to kill Andrea. So obviously linked to him. Guilty. Same weapon. So seven years have gone by since Relisha's disappearance. So here are some details about her. So she was missing since March 19th, 2014. Missing from Washington, D.C., The date of birth is October 29th, 2005. Current age, 14. Sex, female, race, black. Hair color, black. Eye color, brown. Height, about four feet. Weight, 80 pounds. But it can average for someone her age. Could be anywhere in between 105 pounds to 115. Mm -hmm. I think the 80 seems a little inaccurate. Which just I found like a, online. Yeah, it's probably just like a ballpark, an estimate originally, right? So if anyone has any information about her disappearance, we encourage you to please call the number 202-727-9099 and text 50411. We'll post a picture of Relisha when she was eight years old, including an age progress picture. And we'll be adding this information on Instagram and in our show notes. Okay. Well, hopefully, our listeners, if anyone has any information, please contact the information provided. And hopefully, we can find, find her. There is, unfortunately, some information that it's possible that she was taken into a sex trafficking ring. It's weird that, you know... There's just been no other trace of her anywhere, right? Not even her body. Well, see, that's what that's what's unfortunate because the, the, they caught her on surveillance. They caught her one day with that that man right at the hotel on surveillance camera, and the very next day, that guy was also caught there at the hotel. But they had a shovel and a and a like and a 32. Lime and a 42 gallon size trash bag. Okay, a large trash bag, right? But for what? What purpose? So could it be that he had the shovel, he had the body in the bag, and then took the shovel somewhere with the intent of burying something? But there's just no trace so far. There's just no evidence. Right. And he's 
not even alive to be able to say anything. Right, because he took his own life. But I'm just wondering, too, what, what caused him then to kill his wife, right? I'm thinking, my own opinion here, that something he something happened between him and that little girl. He He might have, you know, taken the girl out, and maybe she's somewhere, right? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe his wife saw too many things or overheard a conversation that maybe he was having with someone else. Maybe. And maybe she threatened to go to police. And he was like, no. Right. You're not. And just took her out right then and there. Right. So I'm thinking maybe she just, at first, maybe his wife feared for her life and she was trying to go along with it, hypothetically speaking. And then maybe he caught on to her like, no, she's going to give me up. Something happened that he didn't like. His wife was getting too close to something, right? And he took her out. But maybe he realized at that point in time, if they know my wife is gone, right, there's no one else that they could pin this on. So that's when he realizes he was going to get caught. Right. So he took his own life. Man, I really hope that this little girl is still out there. That she's still alive. I hope so, too. I hope she's able to go to a new home somewhere that she's loved. Agreed. And I hope her siblings are okay, too. Yeah. I, I really do. I really hope. I hope that some information can get out to our listeners and some new information could, could, could be provided. Well, thank you for listening. Of course. You know, your stories are always very informative. And I like the fact that we can give some of these cases some broader light, right? And hopefully reach an audience that isn't aware of this, right? So that way more information could hopefully be found. Definitely. Well, keep your children closer to you. Yeah. Well, and that's a wrap for us today. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Killer Crossroads Podcast and, and on Twitter. Yep, at Kill Our Crossroads. And if you have any topics or suggestions, go ahead and email us at killercrossroads at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we'll get sure we'll be sure to answer any of those questions on our next episode. Don't forget to rate and review us. Show us some love. We highly appreciate it. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you know, we appreciate that five star. A little comment about what you think about us. Yeah. Hoping it's positive. <laughs> it does go a long way and does help us build and continue our channel. So we appreciate your your feedback and we appreciate you taking the time out of your your day to listen to us yes we're hoping in the future we'll be able to bring the podcast live on youtube Mm -hmm. coming soon coming soon (laughs) well we'll catch you next week all right take care everyone stay safe Bye. bye